So we're starting a new series called Relationship Goals. What are God's goals for our relationships? And so the world is out there. It's got lots of advice on relationships for all of us. But what does God want us to do? So over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about different areas, including your your employer-employee relationships at work, and then family ones, dating. But today we're going to talk about what is God's goal for singleness? So it's a, a little bit different. In fact, they asked different pastors and different individuals for the work uh, goals, God's goal for us in work. We actually asked someone who's not a pastor to help write that message, and it's really, really spot on. And so th- we asked, uh, you know, Josh Jones, who has four kids, you know, to write one about parenting, and he did a great job with that. And Tim Sullivan's got a doctorate in counseling, and he wrote it about marriage relationships. And so... Adam Morrill was here last week. How many of you appreciated Adam preaching last Sunday? That was, he did a great job. He preaches normally down in Tunkhannock, and he is engaged to be married. And so he did, he wrote the relationship goals on, on uh, dating. And so they said, who should write singleness? And they asked me. <laughs> Not sure why that is, but... So um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7. There is a letter section of the Bible. The Bible is a library. It's not a book. And uh, it's divided not chronologically necessarily. It's divided by type of book. And so there's a section of the Bible called the letter section. It starts with Romans, a letter written to the Christians in Rome, and goes all the way to Jude, a letter written by Jesus' brother Jude. There's 21 uh, letters in that section of the Bible, and one of them is 1 Corinthians And uh, we're going to talk about singleness, and this shocked me. I'm a statistic guy. I love statistics. But this milestone in American history passed me by without realizing it. In 2014, for the first time in American history, for the first time in centuries, maybe even longer in Western civilization, the number of single adults in America surpassed the number of married adults. So in 1950, 77% of adults 18 and over in America were married, 77%. And in 2014, it it was 49.8%. And today, actually, in 2022, that trend has continued, and now almost 10% more adults in America are single than are married. And so if we are a typical church or a typical demographic cross-section of our community, and actually we are, a lot of people say, oh, you have such a young church. And demographically, we're pretty much the community. You know, we have older people and we have younger people and everything in between. And we have married people and single people. And I would, I would bet a lot of money that most of us here today, over 18 years of age, are single. And so what, are, what is God's design? Because even if you're married here today, unfortunately, the chances are you will be single at some point in the future. So it's a stage that, that we've all been in, that most of us will be in, and frankly, most of us are in right now. And so what is God's goal for singleness? And one of the first things we need to realize, and we'll look into this letter, 1 Corinthians 7, where it talks about that, but your spiritual status is so much more important than your relationship status. 
I, I went on to Facebook this morning just to check and make sure this is true. Um, there, was, there was really nowhere on Facebook where I could check my, my spiritual status. Really tight with God, you know, bing, you know. Um, my relationship with God, it's complicated, right? There, there is nothing to check there. In fact, it was difficult for me to find even the spot where you can, where you can talk, you know, mention your religion in your status. But boy, your relationship status, multiple people, you know, it's right on their front page and you can see it. Why? Because our world says your relationship status is so important. Are you married? Are you divorced? Are you widowed? Are you dating? Are you living with someone? Are you engaged? Are you, you know, da, da, da. it's so important. There's 11 different categories on Facebook for your relationship status. But, but God's word says, and what's really true is that your spiritual status is much more important. So let's look at what uh, this letter says to this church. He says, now about virgins, and that's a general term for single people he's using, but especially for women. But all throughout this, this chapter, every instruction he gives to men, he also gives to women. Every instruction he gives to women, he also gives to men. He, it's interchangeable. It doesn't, Bible that doesn't have different dating standards for men or for women or different marriage standards for one or the other. And so this is really talking about both. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So this is weird. Because the Bible is supposed to be God's word that's an authority in our life. And Paul is saying, nah, I don't have really a command from God on this one. What does that mean? So in the context, as you read 1 Corinthians 7, he just got done talking about divorce, and he just got done quoting Jesus. And so what he's saying here is he says, I have no command, I have no direct command from the Lord. I'm not quoting from Jesus anymore. just want you to be clear, I'm not quoting Jesus. But he's an apostle. He's writing scripture. He says, what I'm about to say is pretty trustworthy. You know, and, and uh, so what is he about to say? Because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. And again, a man or a woman to remain as he or she is. And, and what he means by that is if you're single, he says, I think it's good to stay single. If you're married, I definitely think, just got done talking about that about earlier in the chapter about marriage. If you're married, I definitely think you should stay married. Now, what, what does it mean because of the present crisis? Okay, because this was written about 55 A.D., which is, if you do the math, a long time ago, okay? <laughs> Nobody knows what he's talking about. Some believe there was a famine going on back then. Maybe it was global warming. Little fun fact, the world was actually warmer during Roman times than it is today. But anyway, what we don't know. Uh, what I think it means is really he was referring to how Christians were persecuted. In fact, that's true today. Worldwide, the most persecuted minority in the world today is Christians. And uh, about 13 years after he writes this, Paul's beheaded. And so Paul may be saying, I, I, I see how things are for Christians now. And you Christians in this Greek city of Corinth, things are not great. And I see what's coming down the road. And I think because of the present, we don't know what that means. But there was some kind of crisis that Paul said, I think this, this makes, it tips the, the kind of scales in the favor of singleness. And so he kind of explains it more. Are you pledged to a woman? Don't seek to be released. Basically saying, are you engaged? Don't break it off. Okay, don't say, well, Paul said and break it off with you just for that reason. If you're going to break it off, don't do it because I'm saying this. 
Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Are you not engaged? Don't, don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. So let's talk about the first part of this passage first. He's basically saying there is freedom in this area. I think a lot of people have the impression that obeying God is this enormous list of rules that, that, you know, control our whole lives and make it so hard. You know, we have all of these commandments. I mean, it's double digits of commandments, 10, you know? I mean, but the truth is that God gives us incredible freedom. God has very few commands for us to obey. The problem is we don't like the ones he gives us, right? And, and so, but here's an instance of where you live. You could live in Hawaii, and maybe there's someone, if someone's watching online right now, they should write in the chat. If they're in Hawaii right now, they should let us know. They, I won't know, but they'll know online, and we hate you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but yeah, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to live in Hawaii. It doesn't say it's wrong to live in Nigeria or in Guatemala or, or wherever. You could go live wherever you want. And God is not, no rules on that. You can work in all sorts of different occupations. You can, there's all this freedom we have, and, and marriage is one of those things. It says if you're married, good. If you want to get married, great. If you're single, good. You don't want to get married, great. Okay, so, so there's, there's, now it says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. A lot of people believe that because of his position in, among the Pharisees before he accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord, that Paul was previously married. Pharisees is like a, a Jewish um, denomination kind of um, back in that time period. And, and to advance in that particular um, religious group, many times marriage was, was thought to be perhaps a requirement. But we, so we think that Paul was married previously, but what we know is that Paul is single now. And so he's speaking here from experience. And so what does this mean? Those who marry will face troubles in this life. If you take one person with troubles and marries another person with troubles, what do you have? Double trouble. Yeah. Yeah, you have double. And, and so some people really, and this is something both for married people to understand and for single people to understand. Okay? Um, Marriage doesn't, marriage doesn't solve all your tr troubles and make them go away. And some people go on that one extreme and they think, oh, if I, only I could get married, then my sexual troubles and temptations, they'll all go away. That's not true. Or, or my loneliness, I'll never be lonely again. If only I get married, if only I find my soulmate and this person will complete me. And you know what? When you marry someone with troubles, with your own troubles, all your problems don't go away. Now, the other side isn't, isn't true either, where some people, sometimes even married people, think, if only I could be single again, I'd have all this freedom and lack of responsibility, and then my life would be wonderful, and that's not true either. Whatever situation in life you are, you're there. And that's where most of our problems come from, is from ourselves. And so, but he's saying, I, I, I want to spare you of this. And, and here's kind of, this is, this is not a main point, but I think this may be the most important thing I say all morning. Singleness is not a halfway house. 
before marriage. It is a destination for godliness. Okay, so don't, and again, I, I probably could have been paid a lot of money by some of the singles here today to say this. If you're married, stop pressuring and pushing your single friends or kids or grandkids into marriage. Yeah, like it's not helpful. Your, your subtle hints, okay, are not helpful. And, and I know it's, it comes out of just our, our desire as married folks. Boy, we just want to see, I just want to see my kids happy or my friends happy and all of that. But, but singleness is not that phase of life that you're in before you get into really living. That's, that's not what the Bible says at all. It is the destination for being godly. And you're not waiting for anything else. And if you're single here, you need to hear that too. You are, you, you are not in a waiting zone, okay? You're not in a holding pattern until your life can really, no. You know, my brother is 49 years of age and he's never married. We, we've talked about things and I remember even 20 years ago, he says, you know, Bob, you know, guys joke about this whole sex thing and he said, but honestly, the elephant in the room that most men don't really talk about is just the gnawing loneliness. But, but here's the thing ab about that, and I meant to talk about this a little bit later, but um, we talked about this as a staff, and it was really an eye-opener for me. Uh, your we do not need sexual relationships to be fulfilled and happy. We do not, as human beings, need those. Because in heaven, there will be none of that, and we will be happier then than ever, okay? But we do need relationships. And so even as a staff, we talked about this, the importance of me having time with my wife and my kids, that family time. For a single person, it is just as important for that man or woman to have time with their single friends. In non-sexual, non-romantic relationships, because we all need friends. We all need relationships, and, and it's important for all of us, and we see this in Paul's life as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul is never alone, almost never alone. Sometimes when he's in prison, he's alone, but in fact, even at the, you, you, you read about Paul in Acts, and he's like, he's got, you know, Epaphrodite, and he's got, you know, or, or uh, that's not the right name. But anyway, he's got all these friends, Timothy, Titus, all these guys around him, Luke, and, and they're all traveling together, and April, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are with him. And, and then at his most depressing time, when he's in prison and he's going to be beheaded, he writes in the, in the letter of 2 Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me. And, and I left this guy sick, and this guy had to go to this other place, and only Luke is with me. Timothy, could you hurry and come? And Timothy, could you bring Mark? Because he is helpful to me. And Paul is saying, I need friends. I need other people around me in my life. And if you're single, you need to understand that part of you. And us as married folk need to understand that aspect of singleness. They're not the, oh, well, you can work Christmas because you're single. And oh, you can work later. You can work extra lives because you don't have a life. You're single. No, that's not the way it is. It's not a halfway house. 
to something better or whatever. But here's what singleness is, and I have to define this in our culture today. To be single biblically is to be unmarried and sexually celibate. And now the word does have two words for this, unhappy and impossible. But both are lies. And let's tackle the first one. It is possible to be happy and single and to be fulfilled and single and to be single all your life even. And it's, it is not, you know, misery. In fact, there was a, one of the pastors on staff told me this story. It's probably not true. <laughs> but it's funny. So there's a, a young woman, and she was in a church, and there's some older ladies in the church. They were good friends with friends with her parents and good friends with them. And, and so, but at every wedding, these older ladies would go up to her, and you're next. Maybe you're next. She's like, ah. You know, and so they went to a funeral, and she turned to them, you're next. <laughs> and they stopped saying that to her. And so, so, but it is possible to be happy. You know, it is not a, and then the other thing, it's not impossible to live unmarried and sexually celibate. The world says it is. Uh, here, here's a, Statistics Since 2008, the number of women 18 to 30 reporting having no sex in the past year went from 9% to 18%. It has doubled. The number of men reporting having no sex within the last year from 18 to 30 years of age has over tripled to 28%. Now, I would love to be able to tell you up here that there has been an incredible revival of godliness in our land. And all of these people are living by God's standards now, and there's holiness and righteousness that is sweeping our country, but that is not the case. It is actually the opposite. What's going on? Well, they actually are having sex. They're just doing it with themselves. And pornography and all sorts of things like that are leading to an isolation and unhappiness greater unhappiness because you know what what God wants for us is not miserable boring lives he wants good life-giving fulfilling joy-filled lives and that means we need to trust him about what he says is true and what he says is right and what he says is wrong and and in our society every other compulsion and appetite we know needs to be fought what do you call someone who does not give in to fear? Courageous, right? What do you call someone who, who doesn't overeat, right? Or, or who, doesn't do, who doesn't drink when they really want to drink, man? You call that person self-controlled or you call that person, you know, they're, they're sober, right? And, you, and we celebrate people in our congregation and they'll say, man, I'm three years sober. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm 20 years sober. Yeah, that's awesome. Why? Because that's good because we all know we all have desires and things we want to do that it is virtuous to not do them. I mean, what if I were to stand up here and say, you know, I need to be true to myself. And the other day I got really angry and so I just, I just killed a guy. I mean, that's who I am. I mean, I'm just a murderer. And when I get in a rage, I mean, I can't control myself. And that's just, that's just, you need to, that's my identity. I mean, I'm just an angry man and I can't deny that. And I don't think you should, you should put your standards on me. But, you know, th this is what I, we would say, you need to be locked up. 
right? You need to, maybe even a padded room if you think that's okay. But we feel rage, we feel anger, and we realize I can control it and I can decide whether to do something or not do something. And godliness says I need to not do it. But then we get to sex and all of a sudden there's no rules. And all of a sudden, you can do whatever you want to. And all of a sudden, like it's different from every other compulsion in the human experience. And you need to be true yourself. And that's who you are. And, you, you know, you, you're, you're living a lie if you don't give in to every single whim of temptation. And that is so, such a lie, so backwards, so twisted, so wrong, and has led to so much misery in our country and in our lives. You are not just a really smart monkey. You, you are made in the image of God, and he gives you the ability to choose to do what's right and to do what's wrong. And unlike people who people will often ask you, or at some point people will ask you to do something that's impossible, God never asks us to do the impossible. He says a little bit later in this letter, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that has seized you except what's common to man, to, to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with these temptation provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And, and so biblical singleness is actually the opposite of this. It's possible, and it can be incredibly rewarding and happy. And so we're going to keep reading. Here, here's, so if our relationship with God is more important than our relationship with others' status, then this is something that's also really true. And that is because life is short, we need to live like a traveler and not like a settler. What does that mean? Well, he talks about it here. He says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Like, what? What is that? Those who mourn as if they do not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And I'll, I'll get to the next verse where he kind of summarizes this, but what is he talking about here? He's saying we need to live like travelers, not like settlers. Don't live like you're going to be married forever because you won't be. And some here know that by experience. And even, even this, those who mourn, and grief. And you know, I can't talk about that without talking about Deb Kessler, a woman in our congregation in her 40s who passed away last night. And her daughter, Kareth, is here this morning. And I know her family's watching online. And so what an incredibly godly woman. And yesterday about sunset, she passed over into the arms of Jesus. And so what, are they supposed to not mourn? No, he's saying you need to mourn like you're not going to mourn forever. Because there will be a day where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more sickness and no more cancer and no more sadness and no more goodbyes. We need to we need to live like travelers, not like settlers. This mourning is only temporary. And then those who are happy as if they were not. And, and there are some in our congregation, maybe you just got a job 
or you just got a raise and a promotion, or you just bought a house, and you're like, this is my first house, and you're so excited, or maybe you're engaged, and you know, maybe you just had your first kid, and you know, or whatever, your first grandchild, and you're like, this is such a happy time in my life. Am I not supposed to rejoice? No, it's not that. It's just you need to realize that the joy you experience now is nothing, nothing compared to the joy that we will experience in heaven. My daughter gave this to me for Christmas, a little keychain thing. I'm not big on keychains, but because they're big. But um, I love this saying that is on it by C.S. Lewis. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty comes from. To find the place where all the joy comes from. To find the place where all the all the truth comes from. And that's where we're headed. This world is not our home. We need to live like travelers. He says, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them for the world in its present form is passing away. It's not going to be here. Your stuff, it, it, it's just not staying. Your relationships with other people, they're not going to be this way forever. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Again, this, these are passages where the Roman Catholic Church, along with historical political things that I don't want to get into, but this is where they get the idea that priests cannot be married. Okay, because they, they read these verses and they say, well, it sounds like it's better. You're more spiritual if you never get married. But I don't think that's what he's saying. With God, doing what God wants is always a win for everyone. So it's not like if I have an undivided devotion to God, that that will be bad for my wife. Okay, it is, God never has a win-lose scenario. It's always win, 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 win. So if I have an undivided love for God, that is what is best for my wife, it is what is best for my kids, it is what's best for you, it is what's best for me, it's what's best for everyone. But if you're married, there's no competition between your spouse or your kids and God, but it does get complicated. And it is more difficult to figure out how to live an undivided life if you're married. And he's saying, you know what? I just want to spare you of this. So serving your spouse doesn't compete with serving God, but it does complicate it. And it is easier for singles to have a single focus. There's not this, in fact, burnout, I believe, comes from inner conflict. People don't get burned out because they're working too hard. They get burned out because there is some kind of conflict going on. They don't want to be working, and, and they are. They're, they're making difficult decisions that aren't, you know, or they want to be in two places at the same time, or there's, there's some kind of conflict. And, and so if you're single, there, there is less conflict. There's still conflict, but there's less of it to be singly focused on the Lord. So um, here's two takeaway questions as you go. How would you live if you had to give everything away in a year? Because he, he was saying those, you know, who, who have 
He says, as if, as if it wasn't yours to keep. Those who buy something, if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is fast passing away. So you're going you're gonna to give away everything you have. In fact, it may get thrown away, most of it probably. So how do you live in light of that? And then this is even more important. How would you live if you had to leave everyone you know in a year? There's a lot of things that we regret saying. When I say, do you regret saying something? I'm sure there are conversations that pop into your head and you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I think of the time I turned to my mom and with as much menace as I could muster as a 17-year-old young man, I hate you. And, I, and then she just broke down into tears. And, and you know, there's, there's all these things that are like, oh, I wish I hadn't said this. But, but rather than regretting what we have said, I think it's more important in thinking through this question, what do you need to say now? Is there praise you need to give? Is there a conflict that's been shoved under the rug that needs to be addressed? If you knew I have only one year left on this earth, what would you say to people? What would you, and, and even the, the main thing of this is our mission as if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your mission is to make more and better disciples. That's true of my kids. If I'm going to be gone in a year, what am I doing now to prepare my children to follow God when I'm gone? Friendships, what am I doing now with my friends to prepare them if I am no longer in their life? And I know I look at certain people, and I won't name names, but you're probably going before me. <laughs> but still, what, what am I, what am, how am I living and, and talking and, and in your life in such a way that maybe it prepares you better to go and to be with the Lord? How would you live if you had to leave everyone you know? Um, the goal of singleness is to live like heaven is your real home. And interesting thing, goal of marriage <laughs> is to live like heaven is your real home. What do you need to do to make that happen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for the incredible freedom that you give us in Christ. But Lord, I just, I, I thank you also for your word that gives us those guardrails to help us from not going over cliffs. And God, more and more, we just see so many people through sexual sin and out of loneliness and, and other feelings that, Lord, they just drive over cliffs and there's so much hurt and there's so much pain. God, we know that you love us and you want to spare us of that. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for you. Lord, I just pray that the single people of Bridgewater Church would be so different that it would be an incredible lighthouse to this community. Lord, I pray the same for married people too. But God, just help us, whatever state we are, to serve you, to love you, to follow you, and to live in such a way that when we see you face to face, we can look you in the eye as you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master's kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.